Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. The, the pagan temples in Pergamos, what they would do is the, they would have temple prostitutes coming down from these temples at night and seducing the men. And it was a very uh, common thing. It was very customary for them to do this. And think about being a church in the midst of all of this. And that's exactly what had happened. And, and just like today, there are, there are men who are strong in the faith. And there are some who um, aren't strong in the faith, and because they haven't really uh, yielded that uh, those those things over in their life, they haven't really uh, turned away from them. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio for today. Pastor Rob continues in the letter to the church in Pergamos with the explanation on the doctrine of Balaam. When Balaam counseled Balak, he taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. The stumbling block was connected with idolatry and sexual immorality. If the church in Pergamos had those who did hold to the doctrine of Balaam, it showed they had tendencies towards both idolatry and immorality. Today, you can count on the devil putting stumbling blocks in our churches. Now let's join Pastor Rob with this important lesson. They were overcome by him, weren't they? As it says in Second Peter, by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. They were brought into bondage by this man's ideas, by his doctrine. And what about in 1993? Remember, 79 people who believed in the doctrine of David Koresh. Remember him from the Branch Davidians. All those people, 79 of them died in a fiery inferno, remember, on their compound in Plano, Texas. They believed in David. They believed in his understanding of the scriptures and and, and how he twisted them. And and they were so aberrant. They they were comical. And yet they believed it. And, And unfortunately, these people, unfortunately, they died as a result of what they believed in. So doctrine is important. Wouldn't you agree? Or what about in March 26? This is the last one. In 1997, there was a a cult called the Heaven's Gate, and 39 people committed suicide as they waited for the comet Hale-Bopp to come through so that they might be taken to mothership. I mean, it's almost laughable to think of it, but this is what people believe. If they don't believe in Jesus Christ, they will believe in anything. And the devil is a master at deception. And he will use a man who has a lot of charisma. He'll use a man who has some semblance of religion. He'll, he'll, he'll use a man who has some piety and some, you know, whatever. And he'll use his personality and interject his own deception. And then people, and they mix in some truth and a little bit of deception, mix in some truth, and pretty soon you got this recipe for a cult and the people are hooked in it now, and they'll do anything because they believe it. So doctrine is really, really important. 
When we think about the doctrine of the rapture, why is that so important to us? Because if I don't believe in the imminency of the rapture, meaning that it could happen at any time, if I don't believe that, then what will happen to me as a person is I will get lazy and I'll no longer share the gospel with people. I'll get lazy and I'll pretend like I've got plenty of time. I I won't do anything. I'll just kind of rest on my laurels and and go up in the mountains somewhere and enjoy a, a you know peace and quiet uh, away from the world, totally being ineffective for the kingdom of God. But if is that if, if that's if that's what I believe, then that will affect what what I do. But if I do believe in the imminency of the rapture of the church, what does that do? It 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 encourages me to share the truth. It encourages me to get the gospel message out, which we all are to do. Because remember, we are not guaranteed tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Uh, recently, just a few days ago, a friend of mine from college, his name was Dmitry Diachenko, and he was in the guitar department at Stetson University, and me and a, a brother uh, in the Lord, his name was Joe Shields, and I, we used to hang out together uh, quite often, and uh, Dmitry... Uh, was one of these guys who who just very talented. He went on to Hollywood and became a, a, a an actor. Uh, a, he was a rising star, really. He was in movies with uh, Demi Moore and with uh, Harrison Ford and uh, Indiana Jones movies. He was in a lot of different things and a very talented musician. And, and we just found out that he just passed away. He was uh, he had a heart attack or something like that. Very sudden kind of thing. And, uh, and I remember talking to Dimitri uh, right after I had given my heart to Christ in my senior year of college at Stetson University. I remember talking to him. And at the time, he kind of scoffed at it. But I'm hoping that maybe uh, sometime uh, that he gave his heart to Christ. Because what an awful loss of a life of a very talented, very talented man and how he could have been such a great tool in the hand of the Lord. And so... I'll certainly miss him, but uh, it, it was just such a horrible thing to hear. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about doctrine? Let me just give you a couple of verses here. In Titus chapter 1, verse 9, doctrine is important. So when we talk about this doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which we're, we're going to be getting into here some week now. <laughs> In Titus chapter 1, verse 9, what does Titus say? Or what does Paul say to Titus? I'm sorry. He says, Hold fast the faithful word as, as has been taught, that you may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and convict those who contradict. And so, by sound doctrine. And Titus, again, in the next chapter after that, verses 1 through 3, what does uh, Paul say to Titus? He says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Sound doctrine, that the older men may be sober, they may be reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. The older women likewise, that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine. Notice, teachers of good things. Teachers of good things. And what would Paul tell his young protege Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6? It says this, Paul said to Timothy, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, Christ nourished in the words of faith and of, good, and of the good doctrine which you have faithfully followed. That's pretty significant. And in Paul's second letter, finally, he spoke this, 
to Timothy. He says, Timothy, the time will come, verse 3, when they, when the world, when the church, they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Boy, the church loves to have a pastor just tell stories and fables all the time instead of getting them into the Word of God, and, and that's not a good thing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a with a with a joke every now and then to kind of lighten things up. But you know, some uh, that's all they do is speak stories, and they don't really get they they speak of current events, they speak about politics the whole time, and they don't get into the Word of God. This is what changes me. This is what changes you is doctrine, the Word of God. That's what it does. But notice, let's go back to verse 14. It says the doctrine of Balaam. What is this doctrine of Balaam? Let me just read it again. He says, but I have. A few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak, who was the the king of Moab at the uh, in, in the Old Testament. Balaam taught Balak, this king of Moab, to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols, to commit sexual immorality. This idea of a stumbling block is is a snare, and we all know what that is. Uh, a snare is like a box you put up with a little twig or a, or, or a, a, a branch of some kind, and you have a rope tied around it, and you put a piece of meat in there, and then the animal goes inside, whether it's a bird or some other animal, and the, the rope is pulled, the box goes down, and the person is caught. They're captured, and that's literally what is being spoken here by the Lord. He says, Balaam was the one who taught Balak the king of Moab, to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. We're going to read that passage in just a minute because we'll see the context of it. And so, the only thing that kept Balaam from indulging in his covetous ways was God intervening in throughout his life. If you, uh, if you look at Numbers 22 through 24, you'll see uh, Balaam, who was just a man really governed more by money than he was the Lord himself. He was a man of gold rather than a man of God. And God overruled him on a number of occasions, but we'll see his end in a few moments. But it is important uh, to take heed to these things, these false teachers that were in the first century. And there are false teachers among us even today. In Second Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, Peter said this, And he's speaking of false teachers. And Peter says to the church, he says, But these, these false teachers, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, notice, they speak evil of the things they do not understand, and they will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness, as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Notice what he says. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetousness practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following, notice, the way of Balaam. Here we see it. They follow the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity, and the dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. And so, if, if God had not intervened by His grace, Balaam would have sold out to Balaam, 
or to Balak, I'm sorry, and the children of Israel might have been in, in more trouble, but God intervened. And see, it is possible to have a divided heart. Do you understand that word? In James chapter 1, verse 8, verse 8 it says uh, that it's possible to be a double-minded man. And a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double, a, <laughs> Try saying that three times really quick. A double-minded man is someone who is literally, in the Greek it's dipsychos, uh, or, or dicycles is the word. My my um, my mother-in-law would be able to read this word very much better. But the word means two-spirited. It means somebody who is vacillating, somebody who is double-minded. They're wavering. They're like a wave. Uh, they're like uh, uh, like a person out on the on the wind of the waves, and the waves and the wind are just tossing them around. That's kind of what it is. And it's somebody who is two-spirited. They, they, they got one foot in the world and they got one foot in the church. Uh, you know, they've never made that commitment to be fully the Lord's and they've never, uh, and, and, and they're not completely in the world. They got one foot in the world, one foot in the church. That is what a double minded man is. And someone like that is unstable in all of his or her ways. But notice, what is this doctrine of Balaam? It's a doctrine that promotes compromise while still holding to some semblance of godliness. And, and uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, it says this, that someone like this has a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And Paul's encouragement was to what? From such people turn away. From somebody who's got one foot in the world and one foot in the church, uh, you, turn, I mean, you, you minister to them and try to draw them closer to the Lord. But if they will not, then turn away from them. Turn away from them. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 25. We're going to look at this, this incident in the life of Israel. Numbers chapter 25. This is what Balaam had done. As the children of Israel were coming out of, of Egypt, remember they spent 40 years in the desert and they wandered around in the desert. And there came a point when they came to the eastern side of the uh, Jordan River, that they were camped out there for some time. And during that time, uh, Balaam, uh, who was a, a prophet, uh, was hired by Balak, who was the king of Moab. And Moab was a area in the country right near where the Israelites were camped out before they crossed over the Promised Land or crossed over the Jordan into the Promised Land. So Balak, the king of Moab, was nervous about this mass, um, um, these, this many people coming, and so he wanted uh, Balaam to curse the people. And so notice what happens. So now Israel, we're in Numbers 25, verse 1, it says, Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, that's the area right to the east of the Jordan River, very near Moab, so Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifice of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So the men were marrying these ladies, having uh, relations with them, and then worshiping their gods as a result. So Israel was joined to Baal. Baal was a, uh, a, a false god, a false deity at that time in the, in the land of Canaan. And so they joined themselves to Baal Peor, Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people 
and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And so Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Beel of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came presented to his brethren, a Midianite woman, in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the the congregation, and he took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through. Because the the, the Midianites and the Amorites and the Moabites, these were uh, some of those uh, nations God had pronounced judgment against. And they were not to intermarry with them because they, they they were totally corrupt. That's one of the reasons why God was bringing them into the land to dispossess a people, seven nations actually, in, 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 in Canaan there, because of their idolatry. They had been doing it for hundreds of years. They, they, never, they did not repent. And so God was going to use Israel as his hammer of judgment, really, against these people. So they were not to marry with them. And you see here that they were not only doing it with the women of Moab, but also the women of the Midianites. And so the Lord spoke to Moses. Uh, let me back up here. Now when Phinehas, uh, we, we saw that he went through the tent and he thrust them both through. And so the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore, say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him. And, uh, you know, so let's just stop right there. But you see what had happened here, uh, that they began to commit fornication. And who taught them, who taught Balak this scheme? Because Balak wanted the, the Israelites to fall under a curse, and Balaam would not curse the children of Israel because God had his thumb, if you will, on Balaam, that he would not do that. But Balaam turned around and says, listen, if you really want to get to the children of Israel, let God bring judgment upon them. You don't have to do anything. Just bring some of the really cute and uh, beautiful-looking Moabite girls and the Midianites. Bring them into the camp and have them flirt with with the young men, and nature will take care of itself, and God will then have to judge them. And that's exactly what happened. But God held Balaam and Balak responsible for this wicked plan. And the thing we have to remember is that um, we don't have time to go into the other places, but um, in Numbers chapter 31, we find at the end of Moses' life, he leads a battle against the Midianites, who were uh, was one of these women, but this people group. Um, and one of the people who was killed in that battle was Balaam himself. And, and so, just like the enticements of the Moabite women... The, the pagan temples in Pergamos, what they would do is the, they would have temple prostitutes coming down from these temples at night and seducing the men. And it was a very uh, common thing. It was very customary for them to do this. And think about being a church in the midst of all of this. 
And that's exactly what had happened. And, and just like today, there are, there are men who are strong in the faith, and there are some who um, aren't strong in the faith, and because they haven't really uh, yielded that, uh, those, those things over in their life, they haven't really uh, turned away from them, they, they, they were easily ensnared by these women, these temple prostitutes. And so this began happening even in the church in Pergamos. That's why these temples, uh, that's why I bring that up, because they would come from those temples. That's how they worship. Can you imagine? You know, and people in that city would be glad to offer up their teenage daughters that they could aspire to being a temple prostitute. And that's really what it was. They would, they would go and they would come into the city at night and lure young men. And so many ministers of the gospel have, you know, in, in, our, ta- in our day have been uh, taken out as a result of these things. These kinds of things are happening even in the church. We know that the devil, he's working very hard to take down leaders. We see it in the newspapers, unfortunately. Again, we need to pray for each other. Uh, Christians, we need to pray for each other because this kind of deception, uh, even though it started back then and even before actually, is still going on today. Uh, the devil doesn't have to use any, any new tools in his tool chest. The old tools work just fine because most people are susceptible to those things if we're not careful. So that's why we pray for our leaders. Pray for your pastor. Pray for other pastors. Pray for yourselves. We all need to be careful in the time that we live in today because we live in, um, you know, you think about Pergamos and the environment they lived in. We in America, the church, live in a similar environment. It may not be as outright, but it's very subtle, but it's very, uh, it is very obvious the things that are going on, the whole, um, all of the things that are going on, you know, the homosexual um, agenda. And all of these things are totally corrupting many churches. In fact, there are churches even in the area here that have pastors, men that are homosexual and are married to another man. Uh, they have them right here in our, and there's, you know, they're here. I know this for a fact. And so this is this is horrible. But these are the things that we have to be concerned about. You see, the Bible hasn't changed one bit concerning any of this. We know that it. To, you know, in Exodus 20, verse 14, it says, You shall not commit adultery. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, Flee immorality. And we see immorality all around us. And then in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse, verse 3, what does Paul say? This is the will of God, your sanctification. And sanctification is being set apart. Set apart from the world and set apart unto God. It has to be that way. And there has to be a setting apart from the world and then being set apart to God. It's so important that we are that way. And even in Hebrews 13, verse 14, it says, Let the marriage bed be undefiled. There's nothing wrong with uh, sexuality and the bonds of marriage. It's all good. God made it that way. And He said it was very good. And uh, And it was uncorrupted. But today we see the corruption all around us. And in Ephesians 5, verse 3, finally it says, Do not let immorality or any impurity even be named among you. And see, that's a, the high road, really, isn't it, for the church today, is to not let any immorality or impurity be named among us. So examine yourself. You know, what about you? Are you living a double life? You know, as I, as I say this, I'm saying it into a camera, and I know that there are people in our own fellowship and others that I, that I haven't even met. You're, you're watching, but are you living a double life? These are, these are important things to ask. And, and, 
you know, and, and that may hurt, you know, because it, it's not an easy thing to, to come to terms with, but we have to come to terms with it. Are you living a double life? Are you unfaithful to your spouse? Men, when you go on business trips, are you renting videos that, and looking at things that you ought not to? Are you looking at pornographic magazines or videos online? Ladies, are you watching the soap operas and falling in love with these, these, these long-haired men who, you know, clean the pool? You know, and, and all these things, you know, uh, single folks, are you keeping yourself pure and guarding your virginity? Yes, it's important to do that. Wait until you're married. The greatest blessings are when you go to that altar with your spouse for the first time. And God, I've seen this happen in our fellowship and just the, the beauty of two people who have never been with anyone. And finally, they're there at the altar. And it is the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcasts. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.